Hey, listeners, thank you for tuning in again to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. This may be episode 100. We are right around that number, including bonus episodes that have come out. Thank you so much for listening for all this time. I cannot tell you how much it means to me. So thank you. A couple of quick updates, and then we'll jump right into the episode. First off, we have now picked our two barrels of Jack Daniels Barrel Proof Rye. I was down in Nashville in June, picked two barrels that were completely different from each other, but both just knocked our socks off. So those are going to be going live sometime in the early fall. I will keep you up to date on that. Number two, we have multiple other barrel picks coming. The first one that's probably going to come out is going to be a barrel rye finished in Armagnac casks. This was chosen in partnership with Perry over at This Is My Bourbon Podcast. So you co-listeners are really going to love that. And we are brainstorming some sticker ideas right now that is going to make it even more attractive for your shelf. Hopefully you'll drink it, but it'll be good for the shelf too. Another barrel pick coming out, Spirits of French Lick, is getting chosen as we speak. And I'll keep you updated on that. Last thing, and then I'll let you go right into the episode, is... During my last update, I mentioned that there were four spots available at that top tier of $25 a month. At $25 a month on Patreon, you get not only first access to, well, everything, and access to everything that I put out, but you also get top tier priority for barrel picks when they come out. You also get the opportunity to join me on a barrel pick. Already, we've had members of that tier down with me in Nashville for the Jack Daniels pick, helping out in the Spirits of French Lick pick, and also given some input on the barrel pick. So every pick from now and going forward is going to have a Patreon member, at least one from that tier, on the pick with us. As of today, there is only one spot remaining in that $25 tier. So if you've been holding out, if you're pushing it off for any reason, I'd say jump on it because this plot is probably going to go quickly. With that, I'll say, you know, of course, if the $25 is out of your range right now, we still want you to be a supporter. We still want you to be involved. The next tier down, $5 a month, is going to get you that second access to all barrel picks. I can't speak for the $25 tier, but pretty sure there'll still be some barrels and bottles available for you at the $5 a month tier. That just really helps us grow, covers expenses, and keeps the podcast going with these awesome guests that we've got. All right, I have talked for almost three minutes. That is a ton of time. I am sorry for that. But with that, that's all the updates for this month. I'll keep you updated as they go along. Now, here's a new episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Whiskering Podcast, where we are not talking about whiskey. You probably hear the word once or twice in this podcast, and that's about it. So I am thrilled to welcome on all the way from Ireland, from County Cork, two gents who are running Bally Valen House and Bertha's Revenge Gin. We've got with me Anthony Jackson and Justin Green. Welcome. Thank you very much. and Thanks for having us on. Delighted to be uh, on the pod. Thank you, David. Yep. Anthony here and uh, uh, delighted to be here. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. I got to try it. And uh, as I was just talking to you guys before recording and people know from the podcast, Obviously, we usually do whiskey, but we're going to be testing out some different spirits here to see some, uh, you know, how the audience likes hearing about some gins, some rums, maybe some Armagnacs. We'll see. But 
question. First one's come down the pike. So you guys are my guinea pigs on this one. So <laughs> just to give a little background, you guys are running out of Ballyblane House. And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yep. Perfect pronunciation. Well done. All right. I listened to a lot of pronunciation guides to get that one right. So I'm glad. So, <laughs> so uh, give a little history on Ballyblane House and then into the story of Bertha. Sure. Well, I better cover that yet. I um, own and live at Ballyvalan House. It's a historic house that was built in 1728. So we'll be celebrating its 300th birthday um, in the next couple of years. And um, and we, when I grew up on, uh, at Ballyvalan, my father was farming the property, and we had a mixed tillage, but mainly dairy farm. And um, and that was a financial disaster. So we sort of very slowly transitioned into hospitality. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So we opened the house as a, as a high-end historic B&B. And we host weddings and we have glamping in the summer. And um, food has always been a really sort of high point um, uh, of anyone stay at Ballyblown House. We're big foodies ourselves and, and uh, we grow a lot of vegetables in, in the wall garden and we have fruit there and, you know, we forage, we keep rare breed pigs uh, on, on the farm. And um, so, you know, it's, it, it's very much connects us with the land and where we are. And um, and that, that that's basically what the house is all about. And, and you know, we, we love the place. And, um, and I'll let Anthony tell you how we sort of transitioned into gin then thereafter. Um, thanks, Justin. Well, I, uh, I, Justin and I have known each other for a long time. We were at school together uh, a long, long, long time ago. We're sort of both elderly creatures in our mid-50s now. So um, as Justin has explained, he has been running Bally Land House with his wife, Jenny, as a country house B&B uh, &B with a huge emphasis on food. But um, sort of towards the end of the first decade of... of, of um, uh, the the naughties, uh sort of concerned that whilst it was busy in the summer, there was sort of lots of lean times in the winter, and and he was looking for something to sort of even out those peaks and troughs and cash flow, and uh, was thinking of things that would sit comfortably alongside the very well established uh, and high quality brand that Ballyvalan is, and uh, he'd been looking at the gin scene, which has been rising up really on the back of people like Hendrix and Sipsmith, you know, breaking out of um, in terms of small batch production and flavoured production. And uh, he approached me and said, Anthony, this is what I'm thinking of looking at. Do you want to come along for the ride? And uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, my background is in, in wine. And uh, I've been sort of trading that since sort of uh, 1999. And uh, so it was another interesting thing for me to, to get involved in. And uh, so we've we sort of started looking at that and, and it's our whole, I mean, we'll start going to sort of how we developed it at this point, but just from the get-go, we wanted to create something that was premium, really, really good quality, as Irish as possible, which will be as difficult as, as we'll explain later, but something would sit comfortably alongside the Valley of Land brand. Awesome. So the gin that uh, we are referring to here is called Bertha's Revenge. And then uh, ancillary to that, we've got the slow gin, which is slow Bertha, which I just love that name. It's fantastic. Uh, so it's been gone for a little while now, but for 30 years, I believe. But who was Bertha? Well, Bertha was the 
oldest cow in the world and she um earned an entry in the guinness book of world records so it's been verified by the good people of the Guinness Book of World Records. She lived in County Kerry and she died in 1993 at the remarkable age of 48. And she also had an eye bulging 39 calves during her lifetime, which is another world record, I believe. And um, and when she died, uh, the community where she lived had a wake for her. And, um, you know, she was a celebrity uh, during, during her lifetime. She made several appearances on national television and in, in Ireland. She used to lead the St. Patrick's Day Parade every year and um, she raised money for cancer charities during her lifetime as well. So she was, you know, a remarkable creature and um, and deserving to be brought back in spirit and immortalised somehow. And uh, and one of the reasons we decided to uh, name our gin after Big Bertha, the world's eldest cow, is because um, one our base spirit is derived from milk, it's whey alcohol. You know, so um, it, it, became, it was a very obvious choice for us to use. And uh, we were aware of Bertha because a good friend of ours, Turtle Bunbury, stumbled upon Bertha's wake in, in New Year's Eve in 1993. And um, and he got to meet Bertha's owner and the parish priest and all the colourful characters of, of Blackwater Bridge, where she was from. And he subsequently, he was a journalist, Turtle, and he subsequently wrote about Bertha's wake for the Guardian newspaper in the UK six months later. So we were always aware of Bertha's existence. And then when we decided to, to make gin using whey, we rang Turtle and said, remember that old cow you wrote about all those years ago? Um, you wouldn't remember, do you remember the, the owner's name? We'd like to get in touch and ask him permission to use the name. And Turtle very kindly looked up his notes and we got the, the name of the owner and we got in the car and drove down to County Kerry and met him. And, and he was incredibly supportive and, and said we could use the name and, and, um, and, and Bertha was born. Fantastic. The, I'm just thinking back in my head, like 48, 48 years old, 39 calves. Good God. Um, and yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. So that, that's the Bertha's Revenge. The whole name comes about because uh, any woman who's given birth more than once must have revenge on her mind at one point. So uh, she's back uh, on her own terms. It's not meant to be vindictive, but she's got her legs up in the sofa rather than up in the stirrups and she's uh, just uh enjoying life and uh but it's quite i mean tragically you know she's bertha was a an irish rare breed of cow called a called a drimmin which is like a, a sort of a sub um species of of uh, a sub breed of an irish oil cow and they're known for their longevity but you know a classic dual purpose cow that would have been very popular in the west of ireland uh up until sort of the you know the second world war really and uh but now as many of your listeners will know a lot of commercial dairy cows get sent off to the knackers yard you know when they're five or six years old so to uh be in you know producing milk and uh progeny up up until the age of of 40 or so is, is phenomenal mm. phenomenal but yeah so we're delighted to, to have the association so in you mentioned of course that probably the most defining factor about this gin is the base. It's whey alcohol. Uh, so, you know, let's just jump into that. We'll we'll go to the rundown on gin afterwards <laughs> and just jump in. What is whey alcohol and how did, I guess, which came first, let's say, the idea to use, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, to use the whey yeah. alcohol or finding Bertha and, you know, which came we, first? We thing? found the way... 
we found the way alcohol uh, we found the way alcohol first and we were recommended um the way alcohol by a distiller in london called charles maxwell and when we went to london on our exploratory trip back in 2015 or 2014 yeah. i can't remember when it was um we met a lot of people in the industry one of whom was charles maxwell and he said to us you know you should try the way alcohol because we were saying we wanted to employ as many local ingredients as possible in our gin and um and we discovered that a lot of gin distillers would be using, you know, the, a grain neutral spirit, uh, mainly from France, because um, you can't actually source neutral grain spirit from Ireland. It's all used in the whiskey industry. And um, the only other alternative is to use a very high quality French spirit. And and um, and we were trying to just look to find a, an alternative spirit and, and uh, which was produced in Ireland. And and we discovered the way we we stumbled upon it. Uh, thanks to Charles Maxwell. And um, and then we we. Uh, Got some samples and and uh, you know distilled it with with various botanicals. We'll come on to uh, how we develop the recipe later, but uh, we absolutely loved it and and um, and it gave us a big USP against you know backdrop of a lot of other gins entering the market. And we were the first way gin in in Europe, if not the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, Northern I think Hemisphere, there may yeah. have been one in Tasmania. Maybe they use use milk before us. But uh, we were certainly one of the first gins out of the blocks using whey alcohol and were defined by it. You know, we have the, the picture of um, a woodcut of uh, Bertha on the label. And, um, you know, it's, it's a big part of our ident identity and something we're very proud of. And, and actually, incidentally, Ballyvalan translates from Gaelic as the place of leaping heifers. And our distillery here where we're sitting today is an old cow shed that my father used to winter the cattle in. So on, on so many levels, um, it all makes sense. A connection after connection on that one. They told us that. So I, I was going to ask if you were the first or among the first to do this. Have since you've been producing in uh since 2015, you said you started. Since you've been producing, has whey alcohol kind of taken off as a base, or is it still fairly rare? It's and it's very much taken off, and especially in your neck of the woods, David. It's it's um it's a really inefficient process. I mean, we we don't do it ourselves. We we work with a local cheese monk, a cheese maker here in in Cork, and you'd need a hell of a lot of raw material, i.e., whey, um, to really ferment first of all, and then in turn then produce a sort of decent quality of distilled spirit. So, for most most small scale dairy farmers, wouldn't be able to do that themselves. But the large scale ones which you guys have got quite a lot of and um we're hearing more and more frequently of, of of people actually looking for a way of using this natural byproduct and adding value to it and uh coming up with um you know a, a way spirit so which it's, it's really exciting but there aren't too many in ireland doing it individually there's a there's a really good vodka in uh, i know we shouldn't mention the v word but vodka in it in england <laughs> Uh, called Black Cow, funny enough, uh, and they're also in the American market. Really good product, and they they do have their own dairy, and they started making cheese, and that's obviously a, you know a way to produce the way because it's a natural byproduct of cheese making, and uh, they 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 do it a little bit themselves, but they don't produce enough themselves. I know, so they buy in the whey alcohol um, as well just to to um, justify their their vodka production. It makes sense. It so it's in you say it's inefficient. Uh, I'm hearing because of just the scale needed, like you need a lot of that raw material. Mm. Is it, yes. is the process it's, itself it's, it's, efficient as well? No, it's not. It's, it's, it, the, the, the main reason is <clears throat> that the, the, obviously for fermentation to take place, there's got to be a, 
conversion of 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 lactose and there's very sorry sugar sugars there's very little residual sugar in the lactose in in the way mm. um and so when you get the yeast working in that um without adding a huge amount of sugar to to speed up the fermentation if you're just working on the natural product um it just you're just not getting a lot of of a ferment um after after that so um that's the only reason but once you get going it's a really good product and then the distilled product is excellent i mean um we're obviously getting it at 96 percent um abv and it's just lovely uh and it's 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 most wonderful base for for the gin obviously our botanicals we use add a certain magic to it too but the base really comes through in the gin and the fact that it adds a sort of a um you know a texture to it which i'm sure we'll get to later on in terms of taste profile and palate absolutely and the uh in giving a little preview to that, I will say the flavor, both the flavor and the profile are, were new to me. I mean, certainly the flavor, I mean, it could be every gin is a little bit different, hopefully. Uh, but certainly yours is a little bit different because just because of the botanicals that you use in their percentages and relative to each other. But the mouthfeel was noticeable. I mean, mm. a gin you don't necessarily think of as having a, any kind of consistency in the mouthfeel. It's usually then maybe not as thin as vodka because it, it keeps some of the oils in there, but and adds from the botanicals. But you don't expect it to be necessarily coating or filling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I'll fully admit, it threw me off at first. It wasn't bad. I want to make that very clear. It wasn't bad. It just it threw me off because you're not expecting that from a gen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of the botanicals that you use, I mean one thing i really appreciated was on the back of the bottle i have it in my hand here i know it's an audio only but i'll um, post the ingredients with the episode so besides the whey alcohol and spring water everything here is listed juniper coriander orange grapefruit lemon lime licorice orris angelica cinnamon cardamom cloves cumin almond elderflower and grains of paradise and most of these are going to be familiar enough grain ingredients. Um, I can't speak necessarily to elderflower and grains of paradise um, or almond for that matter, but um, you know, the others, the roots, citrus, classic kind of gin profile with that. You, as you mentioned, you did an exploratory journey in 2014, 15, including the visit to Charles Maxwell. Uh, When you were looking at starting this and thinking about what you wanted to create, uh, did you have a profile in mind that you wanted to create or were you really just looking to see the field and take bits of everything and create something brand new that you liked? Yeah, most certainly. We we liked a style of gin um, that was slightly floral, I think, in, in character. And um, and this is what we initially had set out to, to make. And then we started um, experimenting and, uh, you know, we... we um, did 19 different sort of permutations of our, our recipe, starting initially with florals. And we just found they got a little bit lost in the way because, as, as you mentioned, that the, the way has a lovely, luscious, rich texture. And um, and we just felt these delicate florals weren't being carried very well by by the, the way alcohol. And um, and then we started experimenting with some fragrant spices and um, such as cardamom and, and cumin. And, um, and it was like a marriage made in heaven. It just kept 
carried all those those heady spices incredibly well. And we just felt we're really on something here. And then that's backed up by lovely sweet citrus on the finish. And um, yeah, then, then we realized very quickly that was the direction we should go in. We should go down the sort of spice, fragrant, spicy route rather than a floral route or a savory or, or you know, fully citrus route. And um, so, we, you know, it was all based, everything we do, we, we do is, is based on flavor and what, what works. And, and then we realized, you know, quite early on that spice, spice worked brilliantly. And with the, you know, your background in hospitality, Justin, then Anthony, yours in uh, wine, I would imagine cocktails were kind of front <laughs> of mind as well. You know, because uh, I, I enjoy gin straight, uh, hmm. but also love it in a cocktail. And so what were your kind of favorite cocktails going in? And did that play a role in the profile that you eventually selected? Well, I think we did, we did, we did a number. I mean, it was the first thing, especially from this neck of the woods, um, is, is sort of the gin and tonic, the classic sort of classic um uh, mixer with gin here, which which is very popular in the UK and Ireland, and uh, that was that was surprising a bit because she was is a very spicy creature, and but actually with a really unflavoured gentle tonic, and again a garnish, but not as a cocktail or gin and tonic is key because it's sort of that's the sort of the last bit of the of the punctuation of the sentence, and it's very important to get that right. So you know for us it's grapefruit or orange as opposed to more traditional lemon or lime, and. So that was surprising. I mean, that's a bit like tasting it neat, tasting it with the gin and tonic. You are getting all that 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 spice, but actually, it's really refreshing. And actually, once you've got have your first, I mean, I remember my first half a dozen B and Ts, we call them, and and it just took a little, little bit of getting getting used to. But once you got used to it, then you sort of crave them more because they were genuinely refreshing. And the thing going back to what you alluded to earlier on about coating the palate. Um, it it that, that the, the palate is it's a very lovely slow release of flavour and it stays with you for the for the for the length of time it takes to drink the drink which is nice. But in terms of cocktail, um, we we've, we've both got our favourites and and it, and it because it's such a strong and an individual uh, flavour it does work really well in cocktails where the gin well the base is allowed to come to the fore. So we try not to go for anything too confected or too busy. Uh, we like we like cocktail where you can actually taste the gin. So you know, classically, a lovely martini is wonderful because Bertha really does come through. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to hide. You get a lovely, clean expression, and you get all that lovely um, that sort of coating of the cheeks, uh, which you get from almost drinking it neat. Um, I love it in a white lady. Again, uh, I think it works really, really well with that sort of that sort of clean bit of citrus um and the egg white and, and the, the quantro um and i know justin loves it in the negroni which i do too mm-hmm. and they do some lovely um cocktails in the house here which we've adapted both too which i'll let you justin run through but you know we, we we try and do seasonal cocktails but mainly for us it's 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 cocktails that that bertha comes through because it's no point you know having having a gin or, or spending a huge amount of money on a cocktail if you can't actually taste the taste the base spirit yeah Definitely. And I, I love gin as I said in cocktails, but I, my two favorites are the Negroni um, and uh, Corpse Survivors. And uh, wow. yeah, <laughs> I'm a Corpse Survivor number two. It's it's probably my go-to cocktail right now. And I really don't drink them any cocktail. I drink them. I drink cocktails when I go out generally, because I have a lot of whiskey at home and other spirits. So I usually drink neat when i'm at home or i'm tasting things when i go out 
unless something has a really good either price range or something I haven't tasted before, I'm going to get a cocktail and see how the place is doing with that. <laughs> um, a notable exception recently <laughs> went to a rehearsal dinner and a place had um, 15 year old Pappy Van Winkle for like 45 bucks for two ounces. Um, and uh, I'm not on the Pappy train of like, oh my God, it's the greatest whiskey ever. But for 45 bucks for two ounces, I was going to get a few. So that was the rare exception. Um, but I, I find that these simple cocktails like a Negroni, uh, of course, Rivers is a little more complicated, I guess, but you know, Negroni is a good martini in Manhattan. They're a great measure of the care that a place puts into their hospitality, their dining um, and their drink service. Uh, so, you know, for, for me at home, if I'm making a cocktail at home, it's gotta be number one, it's gotta be a great gin or other base, which of course you've converted to me with this. I like it a lot um, in a cocktail and it's also gotta be simple because I don't have orange peel all the time. You know, the garnishes are the part that I just don't keep. Uh, and I must say the for Negroni, if you're okay with the bitterness of a Negroni, which I, I yeah. love, but you know, some people yeah. is too much. Just the straight Bertha is Bertha's revenge is great. Uh, to sweeten it a little bit, I've done instead of doing the one to one to one ratio, I've done uh, one part of the Bertha's, but it's either half Bertha's revenge, half slow Bertha, or two thirds Bertha's revenge, one third slow Bertha, just to add a little bit of sweetness in there. And of course, with the slow, it just adds to the consistency even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's interesting. you know, I, I say that only because it's the first uh, spirit or pair of spirits that I've had in quite a while. Where I immediately thought, after tasting it neat, I want to go try a cocktail of this like, right away and try to make a cocktail. <laughs> That's not usually the case, and I, I've had a few gins recently. This is not the case generally. I'll just. Drink it straight. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's 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 going back to the martini and going back to our London trip, which again is eye-opening in so many levels, David. But we we went um, to treat ourselves to Duke's Hotel mm-hmm. in St James's in London, which is very famous for its martinis. Alessandro the barman there, and he does a flight of four martinis, four dry martinis, and that was a revelation to Justin and I. I remember we, we we had to have two, three of them just <laughs> to get over because you're looking at for completely different tastes and you know uh that was extraordinary that you know the, the the gin could offer something so individual to a very simple drink where there's nothing to hide there's no additional garnish or flavoring and uh, that was wonderful and that sort of gave us a huge degree of sort of confidence right we can create something that can stand on our own two feet and or four feet in the case of bertha and uh, we can you know really put a put a, hang our hat in it as a, as a, as a product it's i just i just love it and uh, if people want to learn um and hear more about the the london trip i don't want to take too much time today on it just because it, it, i have other questions but uh you guys did a great interview back in 2018 on chew the fat where you really went into detail oh, yes. on that yeah so i'll include a link to that in the show notes so people can listen because that was, um, was a source of, yeah. of some of the research for this episode and it was just great it was a great <laughs> conversation to listen to it was just a lot of fun yeah, they're great, great guys. That was a happy yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, just one more question with the with the ingredients that you chose. You said you went through nineteen recipes with this. Yeah, uh, nineteen permutations. Permutations, yeah. yeah. And um, until we were, until we arrived at a recipe that we thought was delicious. 
because as uh, I mentioned before, you know, everything is about the flavor. It's full of taste great. And, and the hardest part of gin distilling is actually coming up with a recipe that tastes great because you can have too much of one ingredient and it can throw the whole thing off kilter. So it's all trial and error. It's like anything in, in, in cooking and, and cocktail making. You've got to keep trying and trying and trying until you, you actually get it affected. And, um, you know, in every batch we make, we have a taste. And, you know, sometimes the ingredients made slightly dry out in, in over time and we may feel you know they've lost their potency a little bit and certain uh, elements would need dialing up and and we'd, we'd chat about it and, and make little adjustments here and there but uh yeah it's always 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 about the flavor for us and you said one of the things that you uh altered a little bit was to lean more heavily on the grapefruit and orange as opposed to the lemon and lime so it's got a little more i i would say bitter in a in a good way it's, yeah you, know, you think of the other two as more acidic and the grapefruit and orange more uh, on the bitter side actually we and then that, that's one of the greens we, we have actually uh, changed we started off using dried citrus and then um about two years ago we we started using fresh citrus peel and it just made for a much more lip smacking refreshing drink and it, it's made that that little little uh decision was was a really good one in the end and the, the, the drinking experience has been been improved i bet you well you well so mine is going to be let's see yeah so 2023 Oh yeah, twenty-two or three. Um, so this one would have had the fresh peel in there. Yes, mm. I'd imagine you get uh, much more of the kind of essential oils out of the out of the peel than mm. using the dry one. So you know, I have yeah. I haven't tasted the kind of before, if you will, but uh, the in the new one, the after <laughs> comes through beautifully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And were there any botanicals, whether it be root, seed? flower anything that you tried to use and it just did not work for for your for the profile you were trying to make let's say uh i think when we were beginning because we, we wanted to try and use irish botanicals and we very quickly realized david that we don't have the climate or the agricultural history for producing uh gin botanicals so i'm afraid nothing uh, in the bottles going to America are uh, sourced from Ireland apart from the, the way and our lovely well water, which is very important, which is from valuable land. So um, everything is bought in, but we do make a point of really sourcing sustainably and, and working with organic producers yeah. and fair trade employers, etc. But mm. um, yeah, we did work with a forager. That's we what I'm going to that. Yeah. Coming, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, we worked with the forager at the beginning and to try and we were looking down more of a floral route and he was brilliant at introducing us to to little elements and, and small flowers that would, would maybe uh, emulate some of the more mainstream gin botanicals, traditional gin botanicals, meadowsweet being one, yeah. and that sort of got completely lost. We tried to well, that, that tasted like soggy bandages when he yes, um, that that still was, that yum. was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was not great. And uh, we tried to use sort of fresh, fresh elderflower and that didn't work. We do use elderflower, but it's dried. Um, there weren't any huge disasters. I think it was that point that we, one, realised we needed something more robust. And by their very nature, some of those oriental curry spices are quite robust in nature. They're hard shell. There's nothing. There's nothing. They're pretty much bulletproof um, in themselves. There's, it's the balance that that affects the, uh, mm. the taste. But um, we've been pretty lucky. There'll be no horrendous disasters. And I think 19 attempts isn't too bad in the scheme of things before we yeah. got up. The problem was scaling it up. You know, we were doing it on a tiny little one litre alembic still heating with, uh, you know, heating with a, a little electric plate. 
And I mean, it was very much just and I back to the chemistry lab as sort of doing our O-levels at school. And uh, it, that was brilliant. But then the next challenge was to scale that up into a commercially viable size, you know, and from, from, we went from one litre to two, 50 litres to 100 litres. And uh, so that, you know, that's not a simple uh, multiplication. It's, it's just you almost go back to the drawing board again and more tweaking and tasting and, oh, yes, that works and that doesn't work. So that was that was a problem. But uh, that was the, that, that really what took the time is, is just getting the scaling right. And around the time of that uh, Chew the Fat interview, you had you were working on, like you said, you had the 125 liter electric stills. Uh, you had two, Mary and Ellie. And yeah, but the, still, still here. Yeah, but um, you had just ordered a 550 liter Carl still. So we're big fans of Christian Carl stills, and they're super versatile. Yeah. Um, so is that what you guys are using now? That's exactly that's what that's behind you, yeah. right behind us at the moment. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a very sophisticated bit of kit. It's the, it's the Steinway of gin stills, and, and I'm absolutely delighted with it. And they're very good to work with um, Alexander Plank and his brother. And um, you know, it's been it's been a revelation, really. And what was quite interesting was they sent it over with no instructions, you know, in pieces, and we had to assemble the whole thing. And we rang Alexander and said, "Where are the instructions?" And, no, no, I want you to work it out, boys, because that way you'll you'll understand that you you'll you'll get to know the still intimately before he arrived to actually commission it and, and make sure it was all, all connected properly. But um, you know, it's, it's 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 a wonderful bit of kit. It's fascinating. I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking you probably couldn't get away with that in the US only because of like OSHA regulations and things. Like you'd need yeah, someone. Well, I, I wish we could I wish we couldn't get away with it. Yeah. yeah. But, you might uh, have to edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> no, you're but it's uh, it, it's a good experience. Yeah. And it's it's fantastic because it really does I mean our two little 125 litre Browning ones were excellent servants and they they really got us going and we're delighted with them. But it was just funny when you scale up the, the waste in both the heads and the tails um, well, is quite large. It's quite a large percentage compared to we're getting, you know, net maybe maybe four to five liters of of heads and tails of of a uh, two hundred to three hundred liter run uh, on the car still, which is you know not a huge amount, and that all goes back into our hand sanitizer production, so that doesn't get wasted either. But um, you know, unlike whiskey production, we're not redistilling the, the heads and tails. It doesn't go back in on a loop. It's it's uh, We keep that to one side because it is slightly tainted. This month's Impact Spotlight is on White Heather and McNair's blended whiskies, and the tales of the two men who made these venerable brands what they are. The first is Billy Walker, a 2021 Icons of Whiskey Hall of Fame inductee and owner of the Glenallachie, Another Impex brand and a recent podcast guest, Billy has over five decades of experience in the Scotch world. With White Heather unshow filtered blended whiskey, Billy returns to his roots. White Heather was relaunched in 2021 with a 21-year-old blended Scotch, and is now joined by a 15-year-old edition. Both feature 47% single malt in their blend and draw from top stocks in Isla, Speyside, and the Highlands. The 15-year-old is matured in American and Spanish oak casks for a beautiful blend of honey, malt, wispy smoke, and candied citrus. The 21-year-old is matured in American oak and cherry butts for 18 years before a final three years in PX and Oloroso punchins. This is plus time in medium toast and medium char Appalachian oak for a final burst of sweetness and complexity. 
The second story is of Harvey McNair. McNair was the essence of a Victorian Scotsman. He accomplished many trades and travels in his lifetime, and more than anything, he loved and championed the natural, unadulterated color of whiskey. Pure gold, as he called it. Pure gold was the foundation of the whiskey blends he created. Today's McNair Unchill Filtered Blended Whiskey, thanks to Billy Walker, honors Harvey's legacy, marrying peated malt, Highland, Isla, and Speyside with Glenallochy Spirit. This is a blend for the peat lovers. To find all of these whiskeys and any Impex product, visit a premium spirits retailer near you. You can also visit Impex at www.impexbev.com or email office at impexbev.com for those harder to find releases. The Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. I, you know, that was definitely one of the questions I wanted to ask because I, I know not every whiskey producer will put it back through, but plenty of them do for, for that reason. They want to reduce mm-hmm. waste and such. Um, why in gin production can you not redistill the heads and tails? Well, the heads would contain um, quite a lot of the citrus oils from the, the, the fruit and the um, juniper berry skins, and that would cause louching in the gin. You know, oh, um, okay. there, there's a chemical reaction. A bit like pastis, you know, when you order a glass of pastis in France and you add a drop of water and it goes quite sort of milky in colour, and that's what's called louching. And so that's one of the reasons we don't use the heads. It also contains a certain amount of um, toxins which are not palatable, so that, that's another reason we don't use, use the heads. The tails... Um, are quite unpleasant in aroma and flavor. It's a bit like stewed tea leaves that have been sitting in the teapot for too long. And um, and it would if we use the tails in the gin, it would just uh, affect the flavor in, in, a, in a bad way. Fascinating. I hadn't really, as I said, it was a question I wanted to ask. I hadn't thought of it before, but that, that makes sense. The higher alcohols, the lower alcohols and such. Yeah. But as you were said too, from a two to 300 liter distillation to get only four or five liters of heads and tails. That's that's not a that's not bad. I know you never want to waste production, but that's yeah. that's not a bad amount that you would have to throw away. Yeah, no. And there's also a certain amount of sort of sludge and water left in in the still. You know, the spent botanicals. Sure. So you know that that would be discarded as well. And with your production in particular, uh, it's a little bit different than the traditional gin. So traditional gin usually you have a gin basket in there. Uh, and instead, correct me if this has changed, but you guys you uh, will will leave the botanicals in the still to oh, what's the word? I should have written that to. I'm thinking macerate, macerate. yeah, macerate yeah. or steep. That, yeah, one of those two words was the ones I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, to macerate or steep overnight, and then distill it. Uh, and this is unique for two reasons. One, the length of contact because you're just letting it sit there and imbibe into uh, infuse rather into the spirit or into the liquid and then the second part being it's not basket so it's not just kind of vaporizing through to get the flavors it's really you're distilling almost the equivalent of on grain in whiskey production so why go that route instead of the gin basket we have got we have got a sort of basket on our lovely car, which is redundant and gathering dust. And we could have put this, could put the citrus in there, would be somewhere for that to go. Uh, we could have put the elderflower, maybe some of the more delicate botanicals in there, but we 
we're advised we've got a consultant on hand to to look at the production and scaling it up. She said, no, just keep keep where you're going. You wouldn't gain anything from putting it through the the, the basket. Um, so everything everything goes in. Just correct. We have we we're putting everything in overnight, but we've sort of reined back a little bit in that. So what we put in the night before now are the four sort of hard shell botanicals um, and um, and juniper, the three hard shell botanicals, sorry, uh, juniper, uh, coriander and cardamom. And cardamom is our third biggest element. Um, and the cardamom goes in, in the seed, so it's not broken up. Um, um, or And then everything else the next day, including the fresh citrus peel, goes in the next day. So it is sort of, you know, direct contact and the heat goes on, whereas the coriander, juniper and cardamom has overnight to sort of um, uh, rate. So we haven't, to be honest, we haven't, we've never tried the, the baskets. Yeah. We just sort of took took her advice and, and maybe it might be worth having a look at and see what happens. But um, we're, we're probably... Yeah, we, we vapor infused a whole lot of uh, forage plants. Oh, yeah, well, that yeah, was, yeah, that was yeah, experimental yeah. stuff. So they, they were very delicate and... and... You know, it was amazing how much flavor it, it, it did ex- um, extract for us. It was very interesting to, to try the, the vapor infusion rather than uh, the vapor distillation rather than the um, you know full full contact. And it might be quite not to be done it if you're good sort of like doing two you know two hit process where you're then adding a distillate afterwards to 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 flavor and enhance the flavor religion, which we don't do. Um, you know that would be one way of really drilling down into the profile of, of a botanical or a herb or a flower. Is to do it, but you know, because we don't do that, sort of, we do one run, and and the flavour that comes out of that is what you get. So um, it seems to work for us. It's probably it's probably a case if it's not broke, don't fix it. But mm. um, um, we must, we must, having got one, we must try it actually at some point. Uh, no, look, okay. I I ask out of out of interest purely because I can't argue with the results. I mean, the taste is great. The the reason I think of it and. Like I said, just because I know a bunch of distillers who do use the basket, and there's one, one that I'm thinking of, and his reasoning fits very well with what you were saying. So um, I have a friend nearby who works at Fort Hamilton Distillery. He's actually a Londoner by birth, so, but he, we stole him, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and uh, he's creating a gin there. It's mainly whiskey production, but he also has a kind of Fort Hamilton gin, and there's a whole story about how soldiers shooting watermelons at at Fort Hamilton kind of started one of the battles of the revolutionary war here it's a very it's a long story and it's a good story but um, <laughs> the the point of it is uh he produces a gin that's very strong with watermelon and cucumber it's a beautiful summery gin mm-hmm. um and he made a point to tell me that that he will do kind of a fractional or separate distillation of the different um parts of it so the hard shells might go first and at a certain temperature and then the watermelon, the cucumber being incredibly uh, delicate, you know, just 95% water in there. Um, mm-hmm. He'll do kind of at a lower temperature, much gentler. And so what you get mm-hmm. is these separate distillations that are then brought together afterwards. Uh, now for, for what you're doing, it sounds like the separation w- would really be between kind of the, seeds and roots and berries versus the citrus generally speaking Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. have you thought about doing that or was the consultant also saying that you you don't have to separate these you can do all of these at once and get the flavor that you want without 
you know, any negative effects. Yeah, no, she, 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 yeah, she said that. And, yeah. and her, her only change was, as Justin alluded to earlier, before that we were using dried citrus, um, certainly dried orange, and, and um, we're doing bitter and sweet orange, uh, little dried little chunks. Um, and and uh, we, and grapefruit and lemon, and we then put everything into fresh after that, and that did make a noticeable difference in her recommendation. So, uh, let's see. I mean, I completely forgot to even ask you about this, but this is the first episode we've done on gin specifically. <laughs> I think we've covered a lot of the questions and, and factors that go into what makes a gin a gin, but um, just for people who aren't familiar with gin or haven't had great experience with gin even, let's say, or have only had bad gins, uh, what is a gin? And what style would you say Bertha's Revenge is? Well, for gin to be defined as gin, there has to be a predominance of juniper berries. So that the juniper gives gin that sort of resin, piney flavor, you, you know, that, that gin is synonymous with. And, um, you know, there, there has to be 75% proof in, in, in Europe. You know, that's a legal minimum. Um, our gin is actually 42% proof, which is a, or 42% ABV or 84% proof. And, um, you know, the higher the ABV, the more flavor it carries and, and also the more duty it attracts. So it will tend to be a bit more expensive on the shelves. Um, so that's the sort of balance you've got to strike too. And um, all the sort of good small batch sort of artis artisanal gins would be north of 40% ABV in, in my, my experience. And uh, a lot of the sort of cheaper own label brands and you'd find in big liquor stores would be would be sort of 37.5 or 75% proof. And um, I hope that's answered your question. Um, I'm not sure. I'm but then, sure. but I mean, going back to the, the gin thing, basically, you, you mentioned at the beginning, yeah. David, it's just, it's just basically a flavoured vodka. So you're, just, mm. you're getting a neutral spirit and you're just sitting it in a pot um, and chucking a bit of some something at it. Um, and before, yeah. before it got regulated, uh, you know, go back to sort of, uh, Hogarth's painting of Jinane in 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 London, and you know, all these poor wretches with no teeth falling out and into canals, and you know babies on the teeth and everything else. But it, that that was probably indicative of a completely unregulated market right. where nobody knew what the hell they were drinking. But um, you know now, obviously, it is, and you know Justin said it's got to, it's got to have a certain ABV level, and it's got to. Have a discernible amount of juniper yeah. as your building block. The, the base spirit um, has to be of agricultural origin. You know that's where whey qualifies. You know as well. But and, it, uh, and yeah. exactly. So, but then, then that's the beauty of it. Then, then as a, as as a, as a launch pad into producing product, then off you go, and it's, it's really where you want to go um, as an individual, where you think the market might be, and what people. If there's a sort of a USP for your area, be it something growing in the hedges or or elsewhere, then you you incorporate that and. Uh, that's the great thing is it's just you know those flavors can come out so the the spectrum now as you know in this hugely crowded gin market that we see globally is you know enormous there are obviously there are the classic london dry styles which would probably equate to the original gins which might have you know four possibly five ingredients mm -hmm. so going back to the the beef eaters of this world and the, the gordons of this world would be a really classic dry style um to you know this gambit of 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 different flavors from you know sweet to savory to floral to spicy 
um and you know everything in between so um it's 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 fab i mean it's very confusing for the consumer but it's fab as a producer to have that you know blank canvas to work on and the uh that hogarth painting was probably i mean it's akin to when we had true moonshine here you know <laughs> yes. not not the stuff they sell yeah. on shelves the, the true moonshine that's the methane in it yeah and the methanol in yeah. it yeah that's right. Happy simple, simple times, Dave. Yeah. Simple times. Simple times. Actually, that's what gave Irish whiskey. The prohibition just, you know, the, all the, the um, you know, adulterated whiskey gave Irish whiskey a very bad image and killed it off mm. in in America at that time. Oh, I know. And uh, Scots, clever Scots, came in and 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 um, you know dominated the market until until that is changing now again uh, with the rise and rise of Irish whiskey. Yes, indeed. Although I will say, I'm, I'm glad to see on the whiskey side, certainly the the rise, the rebirth, I would say, of, of Irish whiskey, not just from you know Middleton, where everything kind of went to Middleton and Bushmills, but yeah. um, you know, even the newer guys, Dingle, Waterford, more than I can really mm. think of offhand. We've had a couple of them on here, um, Donegal, Space Spirits, up from the north. Uh, all I know that's across the well, no, Donegal is not across the border. Donegal is part of. Um, Donegal's in the south. In the yeah, south, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's. I'm I'm glad to see it rising, but I'm also glad to see these new st- types of gins and other spirits coming as well. Um, I don't know if yeah. you guys are going to make a rum anytime soon in, in Ireland, but that that could be a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no, I, mean, I, I I love the idea of rum, but as you know, it's got to, at the moment. And we're, we're, we're governed by the terrible European Union who have these sort of rather mandatory laws. It's got to be made from sugarcane, molasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'd be quite fun to do something with sugar beet, which we grow out grow here, but we couldn't call it rum. Mm-hmm. We'd have to call it sort of maybe an Irish name for sugar beet and just put it out like that. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, that's tricky. But yeah, some fantastic rums. Um, that's yeah. the, the guy. The guys from Waterford are, are doing doing rum. That's their current project. Um, mm-hmm. Over in the uh, the Caribbean, the Renegade. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had them on for for the whiskey side. I've got to get them on for the rum side, and also to get. I told you we can get nerdy on this podcast. I'm going to have Angelita and Dr. Herb on here to get ridiculously nerdy at some point, but that's a whole different. That's a different episode a different topic um so just to to close up with you guys you know what's the next step is it capacity is it reach go what's the future good well very good quite and funny for you to, we're chatting about this this morning justin i mean we are you are speaking to us in this distillery it's really just justin and i we've got one rather hairy creature from canada who helps us part-time and a, and a bookkeeper and so it's very small operation it's not a big operation and we've been running it happily and successfully since 2015. COVID was a nightmare, but we just need to scale it up to make it more commercially viable, to be honest. Um, North Americans are a big market, both existing and potentially, um, and there's some other markets in the world that we're looking at. So we're looking for funding just to not, we've got good production capacity on site at the moment. It's really just all that boring marketing stuff that that needs to be done and, and you know, spreading, spreading the love. Um, in in our export markets, which we're very much concentrated on, we, you know, we're, Ireland's a very small country. It's great, and they're they're a great consumer base, but it is finite. So we've got to look overseas 
to to make it commercially viable. Yeah, all, all our distillers are very much export focused because we have such a small domestic market here. Um, and we've got, you know, you, you've got the slow gin. Um, we've also got a Navy strength in the US market, which is quite fun. Um, and then we've got a crab apple as well, which may or may not hit the US market. And uh, we're looking at an RTD product, which we've developed, but just need to get a canning partner to make it effectively. And uh, um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, rum, you know, maybe whiskey, we'll never say never, but um, we just need to, you know, to grow the brand and, and spread the word. So uh, talking to good people like you certainly helps with that. So thank you for yeah. the opportunity. Mm. Happy to do it. Really thrilled with the product and people know I don't have anyone or anything on this podcast that I don't try myself that I don't, I mean, if I, if let's say, I was going to say that I don't like to, but um, <laughs> I would say more, <laughs> I don't have anything that I'm not interested in. doesn't have a good story. That's, you know, not worth it, but you guys definitely have a good story. You've got great product. Uh, I will look for that Navy strength gen in particular, cause I'm proof hound um, and just, Mm. I love high proof. What can I say? Even straight. I'll drink in the Navy strength straight. Um, <laughs> well, it's really, it's lovely because it's yeah. just, it's the same botanicals, David, but it's just, we've shuffled the pack a bit and it is extraordinary. I still get it. You know, it's, it's, you know, 57% ABV and it's still as smooth. It's a bit more robust, obviously, but it's, 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 it's a smooth spirit and, mm. you know, it's a killer and a gimlet. So, you know, actually, so that brings a question is the Navy strength then, um, different from the Bertha's Revenge in, in production, or is the 42 and 84 proof uh, just a proof down version of the Navy strength? No, it's a, it's the same production, but, and same botanicals, but uh, the, like a different ratio of some of the botanicals. Oh. Um, and it's just, it's just the, the sort of dilution is, is, is just taken down to 57%. Gradually, but in both cases, you know, we do a, a gradual dilution over four or five days to bring it down to the cloud ABV. And see, using our own well water. Yeah. See, that's like it's something I like. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it just being, you know, a, the regular cask version, or not cask, but the regular proof strength version, and then the proof down. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But if you take the time to see, you know, would this be better? Could we make this better with a little twinging of things? I appreciate mm. that as just taking care it shows more care in the product as well so yeah again can't say enough uh i will again i'll be posting uh with the show notes anything with social media with uh the website where to buy uh, my own notes on uh on the gin and the slow gin uh as well as my thoughts on the cocktail because again that negroni <laughs> is really good um i've also got a question for you that i'll ask you for that i'll ask you off air so hang on with me for just a second after we finish recording. Um, thank you again to Justin and Anthony for coming on all the way from Ireland to talk about gin, of all things. Gin, slow gin, about a 48-year-old cow with 39 calves. God bless her. Um, hope she's having an enjoyable revenge and second life. This has been a special episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps, or 
email me at david at whiskeymywedderring.com with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyandmywedderingring. That's whiskey with an E for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, Please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or at Whiskering Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Whiskey Ring. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.